0: Back to another episode of Deeds with Dita. I'm your host, Andita, and gosh, it's been a minute, hasn't it? Um, I said, you know, previously in the previous episode that I, be- I had gone on a break, and now I'm back, and it's all full swing of things. And then I just didn't release an episode for like over a month, so uh, I am alive and I am still doing this. I am still doing the podcast, um, but yeah. Everything just kind of got a bit on top of me, but now I am back and I'm ready to continue doing some more podcast episodes. So what is today's episode going to be on? Um, So it was meant to be the 50th episode today. And I was like, I'm not ready to like hit that milestone yet and do like a special episode for it, which I already have in the works coming soon. So instead, this is episode 49.5. So we we have a little bit of leeway up until episode fifty, and essentially this episode is going to be on the much anticipated film, you know, of of the entirety of COVID time, you know, uh, No Time to Die. And I thought, let me put my little spin on it. I'm not just gonna do an episode on No Time to Die, because this is wrapping up Daniel Craig's saga of the entirety of the James Bond, um, all of his James Bond films at least. Um, I thought it would be fitting to do a uh Daniel Craig's James Bond review from someone who hasn't really ever like properly focused on the James Bond films before like I have grown up with Daniel Craig's James Bond and that is the only James Bond that I know and even then I had only seen maybe like one or two have only good memories of one of them prior to to No Time to Die um So I thought this was a brilliant opportunity to kind of just sit down and watch all of them and give my opinions on everything. So in this episode, as I've already mentioned, I'm going to talk about every single James Bond done by Daniel Craig. So every single James Bond film done by Daniel Craig. This includes Casino Royale, Quantum of Solace, Um, Skyfall, Spectre and of course No Time To Die. For the No Time To Die section I will give a spoiler and non-spoiler review. Not in that order it would be in the reverse order. Non-spoiler first then spoiler. Um, That way if you haven't seen it yet you can get my non-spoiler takes and then come back to it a bit later when when you have seen it. But as for the other James Bond films they are going to be heavily spoilers. Like I want to get into them and talk about everything that I thought was super cool about them and everything that I didn't think that was super cool about them so be prepared and then I'm going to rank some of the James Bond films uh, under specific criteria so this could be like the songs you know the infamous title songs of the uh, James Bond films Uh, the films themselves so like what my overall ranking is of all of Daniel Craig's James Bonds and finally the action sequences because I feel like That is a good thing to give uh, a ranking for, especially for these big budget James Bond films. Um, Finally, I wanted to talk about a summary of Daniel Craig's journey as James Bond, because I feel like it's an important one to note, considering there's been a lot of controversy surrounding his feelings towards being James Bond and playing James Bond. And finally, the future of the franchise, which I am incredibly excited to talk about because I have a lot of theories about what I think might happen. So, with that being said, let's just get into it. So, the first film I wanted to talk about was Casino Royale. Uh, I want to go through it chronologically, so, um, yeah, we're going to do Casino Royale, Quantum of Solace, Skyfall Spectre, and then No Time to Die. So, let's start off with Casino Royale. Now, the first thing I noted when I initially watched this film was oh my gosh Daniel Craig looks so young like he looks like a small child like what is this I'm I'm genuinely so so shocked and um it was all from uh the opening sequence of this film which I believe was this like um I I, wanna re- I don't know whether it was specifically this one, but I think it was, I think my memory serves me right, is that the, there was like a black and white sequence of like the opening number before, you know, the song and the title and the credits and whatnot. But there was like this black and white sequence of um, Daniel Craig, you know, clearly having to do his initiation kind of thing into becoming 007 by having to kill the specific person for whatever reason. It was this cool, like, you know, the guy gets the gun out of the drawer, he shoots it at, at, um, at James, and it's like, it's empty. Oh, because because James took the bullets out. And it was, like, really cool, and I liked the whole stylistic choice of it. So it was a really overall great opening into the film, and I, I genuinely and thoroughly really enjoyed that. Um, I, I just think, there was a lot more coolness in this film rather than action and um i i I mean i don't know how typically over the years for a james bond film the trend tracks for you know how much action there is versus to dialogue versus you know like some more tensiony scenes or like suave scenes i guess but for me in particular there was a lot less action scenes but the action scenes that we got were quite brutal which I'll I'll touch on in a second um but for me it felt very refreshing you know having I mean the only film um James Bond film I had really like thoroughly remembered watching up until this point was Skyfall and that film in itself is jam-packed full of like over-the-top eccentric you know action sequences right but then you take a look at, at this one and it's like very, very, it's very like mellow in, in terms of action, but also a lot more tense. Like I felt very tense throughout a lot of Casino Royale because it was essentially just James gambling all of his or um, like a lot to try and defeat this villain rather than trying to, I guess, beat him on hand-to-hand combat or just kill him straight up it was more like mind games and tactical and like I think that's why this particular James Bond film gets a lot of critical acclaim because I don't know it feels like a breath of fresh air for that type of genre I don't know whether I am allowed to say that though considering I haven't really seen the other James Bond films so I, I don't know about that but for me it felt like that for sure um I mean Mads Mikkelsen like how I'm sorry, like I didn't I didn't realise he was a villain in this film. Um, but he's obviously like continuing his villain uh trend with Doctor Strange as well, and I feel like he's got that like villain face as well. But it was he was tremendous in this film, like you know, the whole leaking leaky blood eye, (laughs) which was very creepy. Um, and his whole like I don't know, his persona about like needing the money specifically um gosh I don't even remember why he needed the money but he needed a lot of it that's why hence he was gambling on it um I think he needed to give money to someone else because he was slowly dying I, I want to say that was the plot um for me I was just like "Ooh, the casino table looks really cool this is like really tense forgotten majority of the plot it's okay <laughs> um he is an icon though so we love to see him in this um what else I really liked uh Vesper so we got the first um of the Daniel Craig's Bond girls I think um and but this time it felt like a very like deep emotional connection that he had with her only um to be betrayed in the end like kind of kanabuki and kind of sad um in that part of her just kind of betraying him and whatnot uh whether it was betrayal or not we can we can get into in later um talking about later films because surprisingly these are all more interweaved than I thought they were going to be you know I thought they were going to be quite standalone individualistic um films but I like the fact that they're taking you know this whole um how do I say like a more I think interweave is probably the best word that I did use. Yeah, I think a, like a very interwoven um approach to to this James Bond saga. Again, I'm not sure if they did that before. Maybe they did, but I like the fact that they did that and if they did that in the previous ones, then even better because I'll go back and enjoy them as well. Um so, yeah. What else did I like? Um so there are a couple of things that really stood out to me um one was the poison scene and the other was the um oh gosh what was it it was the poison scene and it was the the mad (laughs) Michael's torture scene which I was not expecting but let's 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 talk about the poison scene first so apparently when I was watching this with my parents because I managed to watch all of these in like a period of time with my parents where we all just sat and watched it up to the running up of um no time to die and my mom made the comment at that at the time of uh casino royale releasing which gosh probably early 2000s right um they that scene specifically of him getting poisoned with the um martini was very ahead of its time and like very like wow visually a spectacle and whatnot and I kind of just looked at it and I went well I mean sure I guess for its time it was good but then I just think it was kind of kind of cringy I, I don't know I think it didn't age well in the sense that I feel like if I did watch it at the specific time it was released I'd be like thinking whoa this is like so cool like I've never seen anything like this in cinema before but obviously because we're at a point of incredible visual effects um i kind of was like oh, this is not the way i would show someone getting poisoned it's kind of a bit it's like you're you you're i don't know it feels very forced it felt very i'm forcing you to understand that james is feeling poisoned rather than let james show that he's poisoned himself through his acting rather than through the camera work. But then again, that's a stylistic choice. I mean, we see still see it present, like these type of, um, you know, director directive choices or stylistic choices we see in films today. Um, personally, I don't think it, fat, um, it fit well within this specific context, but I did like the whole, like, you know, tension, had to go to the car and like, you know, had to do the, what's it called? Oh medical things and like had to get Q on the no not Q M M on the phone and try and like sort all of that stuff out. Um and then Vesper in the end comes and, and saves him which was very cool. And then like he just casually comes back into the to the casino room where um Mad's just kinda looking at him like I thought you would be dead and then James is like nah I survived. I showed you <laughs> kind of thing. I don't know, that's how I I I hear the internal dialogue between the two, even though they said nothing to each other. Um, And then the the final thing I wanted to touch on, which I already mentioned, is that scene. I like to call it that scene because I have no other way to describe it. And I don't think I can explicitly describe what happens in this scene because we want this podcast to be uh, friendly. Um, So, but all I'm going to say is it was the torture scene with Mads and James and James is strapped to the chair and (laughs) and Mads decides to torture him in in a specific way and I think this is the first like this is the point where um because obviously this was uh Daniel Craig's first outing as James Bond so then you see this whole (laughs) you see this whole um um you're like oh should we like him should we not you know it's a bit touch and go here kind of thing and then you I think people watching that scene would be sold that like he is a very charismatic interesting humorous like uh cheeky let's say James Bond so I think if any moment would sell it to to any of the uh, naysayers it would be that specific scene because his the way he delivered his dialogue the the actual acting of his pain as well mixed with the whole like I'm gonna make light of this whole situation and make you feel like super uncomfortable like uh, making Mads feeling super uncomfortable that is um was just incredible like genuinely just so incredible I loved it love love loved it um that's where I was like okay I think he's I think he's really good in this film um, but overall, I absolutely adored Casino Royale. I mean, I thought it was genuinely really entertaining and fun and very different from the, the film that I'd seen before, which was Skyfall. Um, so big thumbs up all around. Definitely, definitely enjoyed that one. Um, and then obviously we, we left leave off the film with Vesper kind of betraying him and he's like, oh no. And like, he has to now, um, I guess seek revenge and, and all that just that and the other and yeah honestly it was um it was it was a rough one but personally great opening and great like start for for Daniel Craig's career as James Bond so hooray <laughs> so the next James Bond film that I wanted to talk about was Quantum of Solace now I'm going to be real with you in my notes which was written at a closer period of time to when I had watched it. Um, I've just written what. I literally don't remember what happened in this film. And now, a couple of weeks later, I still don't (laughs) remember what happens in this film. If anything, I remember less about what happens in this film. Um, And I think that speaks a magnitude into how I felt about this film. Uh, I I, I just didn't particularly like it. Um, So, this he's trying to take down an organization like i feel like that's the whole thing with with james bond films he's either taking down a person or taking down an organization and uh, this one he's taking down an organization called quantum and this this organization is kind of trying to monopolize i think like all these high powered leaders and all these leaders essentially just want to have like power i guess I'd, i don't really know how to explain this but yeah he the only memorable thing about this film was essentially the theater scene where I think I've seen it in a in another film as well but I'm fairly confident James Bond did it first where they're in like this this theater and there's like a play going on and you know all these like people who are involved in the quantum organization are sitting in the audience and they have the earpieces on right and they're talking to each other about it and James is like pardon me to interrupt or like whatever he says in his British accent I say that as if I put on a British accent you know it's fine and he's like he's like oh yeah I can actually hear everything that you're saying and um I'm gonna make all you guys stand up at the same time so I can identify you know who, who are the members of Quantum and it's like really cool it's like a very very smart way of you know deducing um who who these people of this organization are in a very quick and efficient manner and I really really enjoyed that like that was one of my f- one of the what most memorable scenes of Quantum okay. of Solace bearing in mind there aren't a lot of memorable scenes in Quantum of Solace so yeah definitely that one was pretty good um David Harbour was in this film, um, I genuinely don't remember as what, but he was in this one, um, I think he was a part of the bad guys, I want to say he was a part of the bad guys, but yeah, I just, I just remember seeing him and am like, oh my god, it's David Harbour, what is he doing here, <laughs> kind of thing, but it was really cool, um, Mr. White from the end of, um casino royale is ever present in this one as like the main big bad guy kind of kind of doing uh, running quantum and doing all all of that stuff so yeah it's um that's that's basically this one if I'm i'm gonna be real with you i don't really know what else to say about this one i mean there was another bond girl in this film but she didn't feel very memorable she was very um i think her name was uh camille but i think she was like incredibly incredibly badass in this film but at the same time she wasn't very memorable (laughs) like a lot of this film is just not memorable um like i'm remembering like very little of this like i'm looking at the the plot on wikipedia right now like yeah i don't remember i remember that there was like a a big building that they were in and i think um like they infiltrated so like Bond and Camille infiltrated it together and Camille had to uh Camille uh Camille I want to say it like that yeah let's let's say it like that um she wanted to get revenge for something um from one of the guys who was in that organization she had like her own personal vendetta which she managed to do at the same time James was trying to confront Mr. White and this that and the other and like yeah um just a lot just, just a lot goes on, and overall, that was, that was the film, and, uh, there's not much else I want to say about it, it was, it exists, um, I I bet you can't guess where I ranks this on, on, um, my overall rankings of the Daniel Craig James Bond films, um, but yeah, it was just, it was a meh film. So let's move on to Skyfall, right, which, so, in Skyfall, there are a lot of components that I really enjoyed specifically character wise we I'll see we have money penny who I absolutely love and we have her having a more of a prominent role in this one and I just enjoyed her role in this one a lot more as well as Q you know the person who the tech guy who I really enjoyed um played by I think his name is Ben Ben W yeah let's call him Ben W um, he's been in stuff like I'm fairly confident he's been in the new Mary Poppins film. Um, but yeah. So a lot a lot is going on and um essentially M, uh M's past is coming back to her, um, and she's like there's this person from her past that is threatening to expose um, leak information about her that could potentially be incredibly detrimental to her reputation um, and enter uh, Gareth Mallory who is like well everyone knows this but like is the is going to be the new M because M dies in this one but has to do an investigation into um the current M and like what's going on with uh, with her Because loads of computers are getting hacked, like the MI6 computer servers are getting hacked and whatnot. And like, you know, explosions are happening and this, that and the other. And it turns out it is a old agent that used to work under M. Um, And there's kind of like this, even towards the end as well, there's kind of like this banter between James and him and like, you know, how how like oh I am I'm the better one like M like to be more kind of thing kind of like a sibling rivalry without them being siblings instead they're like secret agents is very weird um but personally I think this is an incredible Bond film it has everything from talking about James's past so like where he grew up um you know at Skyfall and um in Scotland and like you know all of the the tangling up with M and how he never wanted to to be back in the field um but then he kind of was called back in because of this whole M disaster and the fact that MI6 is basically going to ruins um and yeah uh he he's he's just he's just out here having a great time like what I think was the best part of, of the entirety of Skyfall like I just kept watching it and the only thing I could think of was damn this cinematography is like so nice so they googled who directed this film it was none other than Sam Mendes like hello I <laughs> I'm not surprised so if you don't know who Sam Mendes is he um directed 1917 which is known to also have some incredible cinematography as well so he is a director that tends to um his narrative tends to thrive on cinematography so why why was I surprised that this one was also going to have some uh incredible cinematography um so that was a very very key and crucial and amazing thing that um I loved about about um about this film I mean a lot of this film um For me is nostalgia like I just remember like you know the opening sequence of like you know Adele singing Skyfall who like absolutely incredible in the vocals and like just an incredible Bond song and just song in general like I feel like I could listen to that song in general outside of the film a lot um and it just does a lot right like there's not a lot I can fault with this film um and it feels more like a traditional stereotypical Bond film you know with the the fancy cars to the um to the over the top action sequences you know especially with the train scene at the beginning where Penny shoots James like yeah and he's like I think he was like declared dead or like he he was in hiding or whatnot and then suddenly it's like oh he's back he's actually just wasn't dead wow kind of thing so yeah it was um it was an interesting one for a lot of reasons and you know the entire sequence at the end with like the the whole I I I joke about this but genuinely this is what came to mind but like the whole like home alone-esque sequence of just the booby traps around the house and then like you know the the whole fight sequence along the ice and then like you know um M eventually just dying and then the emotional weight of her death and it's just like it was just so much going on so much emotion jam-packed into it that I just absolutely loved it and I I couldn't I couldn't fault fault a lot of it the only the only thing I could uh, I guess really fault about it was uh I mean just add more more dialogue I guess because it felt very very action heavy like we could have we could have thrived with a little bit more dialogue and explanation in that sense coming from Bond rather than just exposition from the villain but then that that's what you sign up for when you sign up for like a James Bond spy film exposition is definitely going to be be within that criteria but absolutely adored Skyfall um and it was a brilliant rewatch it definitely held up in the rewatch um And yeah surprisingly I remembered a lot of this film considering I watched it I think it was 2012 because a lot of things happened in 2012 um in the UK and I think James Bond was one of them but yeah I really enjoyed that um uh so I guess the final one before we talk about No Time To Die is Spectre so bit of a fun story about Spectre um I mean, obviously I'd said that I had watched Skyfall before and that was all great and well and good and whatnot. Um, So realistically, the next film that I, the next James Bond film that I would have seen after Spectre would be, oh sorry, after Skyfall would be Spectre, right? Right, because it's the next one in the series. (laughs) So I did, I actually did uh, did go to the cinema and go watch Spectre. Uh, But fun, fun story. Um, I fell asleep through majority of it. Now I don't know why, or what, what, what in my mind went. Yeah, this I definitely need to sleep through this. But I, I, I did, and I fell asleep. God knows, can't remember what point. <laughs> um, I think it was before any of the white room stuff happened. So like you know when they're in that um, like completely white room. And, once again, James is tortured. Seems like a theme here. Um, but it was at that point, like, I didn't see any of that. But then I woke up with James and Madeline getting, like, going into the car and just driving off together, and that, and then the the credits rolled, and I fully just sat there, and I, I, I just looked at my parents, like, yeah, I didn't catch any of that, Chief. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna lie to you. Um... But even years later, I tried to re-watch it, but I never managed to finish it either. So this film was technically re technically also kind of watched for the first time because I... I mean, the crucial part of the plot, I just completely, you know, is, is not even in my memory because I, I didn't... I just fell asleep. <laughs> so chaotic Nandita strikes yet again. So I... I like this one because it tries to tie up the other three into this one to have, like, a um, a big villain and whatnot um, of, like, you know, the whole Spectre organisation and how, you know, th- there was, like, a bunch of... A bunch of... Like, the dude who was in charge of the Spectre organisation was kind of, like, the puppet master of you know Vesper's death and also like the things that happened in Quantum of Solace whatever they were um and it all kind of ties all of them together to be like haha you thought that like these were all individualistic separate people separate events you thought you thought wrong they're all intertwined with each other which was really good again I feel like this is the start of the um really heavy links and continuity kind of like flowing and like world building is probably the best word word world world building for Daniel Craig's James Bond which I absolutely adored and I loved that now a couple of things I wanted to talk about um for starters what happened to the cat now if you don't know, I am a big cat fan. Like I love cats—not cats, cats twenty nineteen, but cats just in general, the animal. Um, I, I absolutely adore them, and so anytime I see them on screen, and be it a James Bond film, you know there is going to be like the the classic cat being stroked by villain while they spin turn in a spinny chair kind of thing ordeal. Um, and yeah, this film kind of had that, except the villain just had a cat like. Mo- uh, waltzing around and whatnot um but what ends up happening is the in the scene that there was the white room and like the explosion happens and stuff like that like that's where the cat was right and like in no way shape or form did they give any continuity of where that cat went and I was just distraught because I was like if I can't see this cat anymore it means this cat has died and I personally refuse to believe that that happened like come on justice for cats please in James Bond films like why why we why we gotta do this um but on a more serious note um I feel like Spectre has a lot to live up to you know uh, following the events of Skyfall I mean just being a masterpiece of a film um genuinely one of one of my favorites and to have Spectre follow that up pretty difficult I mean the whole day of the dead opening sequence is really good like really good even when I watched it for the first time that was quite memorable to me um so yeah like that bit that bit was all good uh on the other hand like I don't know there's just there's not a lot that's different or quirky or unique about this film like I think the omen of me falling asleep the first time I watched it kind of describes my whole emotional intent towards it Uh, and if I think of it in a wider scheme of things I think Spectre was just used to set up in a lot of ways uh No Time to Die you know because this this is the one where it's like oh imagine it like a film franchise you know with like the either the Harry Potters or the... Uh, Hunger Games or whatnot, like they have their finale one, their penult- no, not penultimate, their final one, um, basically split up into two parts. So a part one and a part two. That's how I felt with Spectre and No Time To Die. It felt like Spectre was like the part one and No Time To Die was the part two in that Spectre set, spent a lot of its time doing setup and exposition stuff and building there so that we could get the Uh, mild, mild spoiler for what I think about No Time to Die, but the gloriousness that was No Time to Die. So I think, yeah, it's, it was just really tough. I mean, the things that I did like about this film, albeit a few, is I loved the whole um, first introductory meeting of um, Madeline Swan, where it was in the snowy, mountains you know I'm a sucker for snow as you guys all know in film um absolutely loves that and I loved that introduction and the whole like Madeline Swan's character in his, in herself like I really enjoyed that like after the whole Vesper situation you know James finally potentially breaking his wards down to trust another woman oh my god gasp <laughs> um like it's it was truly it was truly interesting and, like, I, I, I enjoyed that aspect of it. You know, James finally feeling that he can trust another woman again. So, yeah. I mean, other than that, do I have anything else notable to say about this film? Um, I mean, we saw a bit of... Um, oh, this is the one that had... Um, the dude from Sherlock, the one who plays Moriarty from Sherlock... Right, yeah, I was slowly piecing together what, what happened in this film. They had a person on the inside to upload this thing uh, where all the information on the British Intelligent would be given to the Spectre organisation. Um, yeah, it's all it's all coming back to me. But yeah, and then we, had, we got to see um, the new M because obviously the previous uh, Dame Judy Dench's uh, M killed off tragically in Skyfall so we have the new M and we get to see um what his action sequences are like and um what type of M he will be kind of thing and that was really really cool um I love the dynamic between it's Moneypenny um Q and Bond like I genuinely love uh their dynamic always like I think they they really vibe and bounce off of each other very well um but other than that it feels like a very forgettable film like at the time watching it I could be like yeah this was really good but if if someone were to talk to me about like oh Daniel Craig James Bond film like Spectre would not be the first one that comes to mind you know if that kind of puts into perspective um how I feel about Spectre so yeah good film just not incredibly as memorable as I guess I would have liked it to be so it's now time to talk about No Time To Die. Um, so I'm going to split it up into spoilers and non-spoilers. I'm going to go into non-spoilers first and then I'll give you your Mahusa spoiler warning in that just pause the episode and then come back to come back to a new one. Um, come back to it later once you've already seen No Time To Die. But let's, let's talk about my non-spoiler review for No Time To Die. So I believe I'm going to repeat what a lot of people have been saying on the internet in that this is probably the best send off to Daniel Craig that they could have possibly, um, they could have possibly done. You know, it was incredibly touching, incredibly emotional. It was still as action-packed as you would want um, a James Bond film, but also tonally shifting without giving too much away. It felt very tonally different to any of the other James Bonds that we've seen. And bear in mind, I told you, that in Casino Royale I felt that there was a, a, a tonal shift in there in that less action more like mind games kind of thing but then the other ones are classic like you spy act, like driven rather on action sequences than uh, anything else and I think particularly No Time to Die shifts that focus like on its head it, it, it almost doesn't feel like a James Bond film which is a nice thing because you know after seeing so many of these, especially with having a loyal as loyal fan base as James Bond fans, you know, watching the same thing time and time again only can can only get so much more interesting each time. You know, uh, you can have over the top spectacles and and um, action sequences and stuff, but they get to a point where it's like you kind of feel like you've seen it all. Um, so I loved this whole like shift it felt like a breath of fresh air. Um I mean Daniel Craig in my opinion this is his best performance as Bond. I wouldn't say like I don't know whether I would say just yet whether I think it's the best James Bond film of his but it felt like his most committed and enjoyable. I mean considering uh his emotions towards uh even wanting to do this this Bond film which I'll get onto in a little bit. But it just feels very much like, yeah, he, he was in this one. He, it felt like he had creative reign and freedom on this uh, a lot more than say the other ones. Um, and yeah, we've got a director shift as, shift as well, because I believe Spectre was also directed by Sam Mendes. Correct me if I'm wrong. Um, we also have a director shift here. So it, I think it serves it well in this particular, uh, circumstance. Uh, I mean, Madeline Swan is back uh, to give an overview of the kind of plot that you expect to see within, um, within No Time to Die. It's, it's essentially Madeline's past. So like, you know, I feel like all James Bond films do this, but like someone's past decides to resurface and then they have to deal with the repercussions of what people have done in their past. So we had M's, we had James's, and now we have uh, Madeline's so Madeline's boss is coming back to haunt her and yeah like and we and without saying too much more it kind of goes on from there of figuring out you know um obviously at the end of Spectre James and Madeline were ready to live um their lives together um happily and whatnot and to and like just maybe You know uh settle down but rather in this film something puts a spanner in that works and um loads of events unfold because of it and spiral 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 and that's the plot to to no time to die um what else can i say i believe that without i don't know what else to say without going too much into spoilers i mean the best thing i could say to someone who hasn't seen no time to die yet is definitely go in having watched and or rewatched the previous James Bond films cuz as i mentioned you know it's a perfect close off for daniel craig's character in more ways than none it feels like this is the ending chapter of a book which requires you to read read the other chapters you know um and there's a bigger payoff if you've read the previous chapters than as if you're just going into this one without like reading, reading, any, uh, reading anything else. So yeah, it's genuinely incredible for, um, for you to watch all of them. I was recommended by, by someone, one of my friends to, uh, actually watch all of them and, uh, have that all sink in into my brain and then watch, um, the film, which, I mean, th- thanks to them, made my experience so much better for no time to die. so if that's my one piece of advice before you go watch no time to die um, definitely do that. Um, I have to say like in this film is very long but in no way shape or form does it feel like it falters or drags uh, upon second viewing, maybe a little bit so but I mean tends to be it tends to be what happens when 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 you know the plot kind of kind of thing um not for all films I I do admit but particularly um majority of the films you you tend to feel that it it feels you you feel the length of the film more when you've watched it uh, a second time round. so yeah um it but on a upon a first viewing it definitely does it it feels like just as you feel like it's about to kind of get dull like it throws you into a new plotline that's developing, or plot twist, or whatnot. So it always keeps you on your toes. So as an overall general consensus of whether I'd recommend it or I wouldn't, I would definitely recommend it. Like, gosh, it's it's the end of an era for me. It feels like at the end of, of you know my my childhood of growing up with Daniel Craig's James Bond. So, it it feels like a must at this point, you know. So. I would definitely recommend uh, going to watch No Time To Die. So this is now your spoiler warning. Spoilers for No Time To Die, if you haven't seen it already, uh, definitely do check it out. It is in cinemas, still currently at the moment, uh, in UK cinemas, because I mean, us us Brits are very crazy about James Bond because it is just an inherently very British thing to like. So um, definitely do check it out, go support the cinemas uh, safely still safely um and yeah let's get into the spoilers right so there's a lot I want to pick out about this film because a lot of things as I mentioned in my non-spoiler review were just inherently different about this one that made it so much more interesting to me and we're going to start from the beginning which is the first time one of the Bond intros um before the song like ever meant any sense towards the cohesive storyline so if we think back to some of the other ones like we had the casino royale one as cool as it was you know the black and white sequence and whatnot it didn't serve much to the purpose of the story like I could easily have had that not in the film and the film would have still made sense kind of thing same with the whole skyfall debacle which I think was the train one I think that was the train one. And then the Spectre one with the Day of the Dead. Like, a lot of them could have... They could have not been there. And I, I wouldn't have really cared or noticed. But for No Time to Die, it was one of the first ones where we didn't have James in the opening. Oh, well. Actually, no. I, it's actually one of the longest as well, if I, if I think about it. Because it goes from flashback to past to you know Madeline coming out of the water in Italy to car chase sequence to James the train sequence in which uh, Madeline's sent off on the train so it's a lot happens in it but the beginning part just felt so so different to any of the other intros that I'd seen for for no time for any of the James Bond films that it really intrigued me. I was like, "Oh my gosh. Okay, we still haven't gotten the 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 song yet." Wow. Okay, we're like really honing into this and the song was so eloquently placed as well in in where it entered and stuff. And I don't normally mention this with um with the I didn't mention this with the previous ones. I mean, the only one that other one that felt really perfectly placed uh, was Skyfall in the whole, like, um, in the water, like, him in the water, and then the Skyfall, um, cinematics kind of came, came on, but no, no, like, the, this one truly did feel so sleek, you know, with the whole circles, and, like, it just felt, it felt really, really good, like, really, really good, I don't know how to explain it, but that whole opening sequence just felt, absolutely perfect because you've also got the whole um we find out a little bit more about Madeline's past uh with a uh, l'homme uh, mask mask I, I tried to say that in a French accent I did take French as a subject and I think I butchered that so we're gonna ignore that but the guy in the mask um obviously is her um thing that she wants to burn her secret that she wants to burn in Italy and you know we get to see that in the beginning and you know it turns out that it catches up to her faster than she can even explain it to James which is quite hilarious if you think about it in terms of like convenience um but he she obviously wants him to to kind of let go of his past and that causes him to go to the Vesper's place and then Vesper's grave blows up um conveniently very conveniently to the point where because of said problems with Vesper in Casino Royale he has trust issues and immediately thinks Madeline has something to do with it after the guy with the weird eyeball is like yeah you um you have um, like Madeline you need to watch out for her kind of thing and pff, immediately he's in a spiral of doubt um very very unstable James at this point so, we have the whole action sequence, then she's sent off. And I thought, honestly, incredible. I really enjoyed it and I loved it. And it only got better from there, you know. Um, we had the whole five-year jump from that point, And we got to see M just messing things up, making a right mare of things. And then also the fact that um, James is just retired and he's just living his life... Um, god knows where just chilling and vibing another thing that i noticed in in this particular film is that it felt like every single james bond film that i'd seen up until this point had like and this is not just a trope for for james bond films like i've seen this in marvel films i've seen this in other films as well is that films have a have a way of just kind of being like i'm gonna tell you where exactly we are i'm gonna give a location card and tell you exactly uh where we are in the world kind of thing and it feels very, sometimes it can feel very like, takes you out of the um, out of the film in a sense because you wouldn't see text floating around in real life if you get what I mean. Um, so I appreciated the fact that the director was like, yeah, I think I'm, the audience is competent enough to put two and two together about where they exactly are in the world through conversations, through key locations and stuff like that. So I appreciated that like greatly. So um, James living his life, retiring and whatnot, and then the whole return of um, the the American agent from from Casino Royale. Like I absolutely loved that. Like the whole like there are so many people trying to go after the same lead because of M's issues that happened in London and this that and the other and then, like, Spectre's not dead or what, but then it actually is because all the Spectre people die because of that weird chemical, um, what did they call it? They called it a, um, a weapon of mass destruction accidentally, because M didn't technically want it to be a weapon of mass destruction, but it ended up being that, so yikes on his part, but I loved that, like, it was truly, it was just, it was just so great. Um, there were a lot of things without explaining the whole plot because I feel like I could just analyze like the entire thing of being like yeah I really like this particular thing and that's that particular thing I'm gonna give like an overview of of stuff now as well so uh Anna de Armas like hello her five minute role had me absolutely snatched like what firstly she looked like a goddess (laughs) throughout the entire time like yes secondly like, I want more, like, females in Bond films, like, that, like, yes, that was so incredible, um, like, I want to see, like, this whole, okay, five minutes, I'm an agent in a different country that needs to help you with your mission, um, five minutes of me helping you and be like all right send you off your way goodbye kind of thing like it was it worked so well in the purpose of the film obviously I was expecting her to have a little bit more of a role in the film but that's not to say I didn't enjoy her actual part in it like it was just oh it was just so good um what else did I I, I like about this film there were a lot of small details that I, I really enjoyed like even towards the end you know the whole um shooting the gun, um, like. Like how he does in the the opening scenes where it's like shoots the gun and like the the circles pan to him and like the gun revolver thing. Um, oh, even that opening shot where they did that at the beginning, and then like the it just moved into a lens that like outlooked snow. Oh, that was so that was so good. <laughs> like just the little details, like they you can tell they really really thought about it. I mean, they had enough time to think about it because this film would delayed so much, but. It, it just felt like there was a lot of a lot of thought and time taken into how exactly they wanted to do this film um for starters uh, well I say for starters but it's just I, I can't believe this film actually made me care about James Bond and actually gave James Bond a family because that was the biggest plot twist when I saw that child I was like oh my god that's his child like she said it wasn't but let's be real i everyone in their head was like mm, bit sus bit sus that is <laughs> so definitely i really enjoyed that whole aspect of like he actually has something to live for and to fight for in, in this current moment of time cuz otherwise it feels like james is like always really ready to die for the cause but at this point you could tell that he he really didn't want to die for the cause but then this is the one he did end up dying for the cause it's 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 a whole enigma if you if you want to call it that but yeah um so and it was very love-centric as well like it didn't feel like it felt more like a love-driven film than it did feel like an action-driven film with the whole Madeline situation because obviously he kind of doesn't trust her anymore when it wasn't even her fault and then she's kind of like annoyed at him because she he kind of just left her but then you know some of the the exchanges that they have with each other are truly heart-wrenching and you just feel like damn james you have a heart when did this happen um And going off on like the the fact that they had a lot of exchanges what I noticed as well a lot about the uh, No Time To Die is that um, Daniel Craig had a lot more lines I don't know where this came from it might be because he has he was a producer on this film and also probably had a little bit more creative freedom with this film considering it was his last uh, last Bond film. he just spoke a lot more than than any of the other James Bond films and I think that served him well and that's why I mentioned in the non-spoiler bit that I, I believe that it was his best acted James Bond film because you know we barely see any any dialogue in any James Bond film it's just very action driven which is why I liked the fact that a lot of this narrative was was taken by um taken by dialogue which, which was a pleasant change, you know, for, for this, for this type of film, um, things, now I've spoken a lot about what I liked, right, and considering that a lot of these things that I've said that I've liked really outweigh the negatives, so when I talk about the negatives, pinch of salt, because, like, they're very minor things that I, I'm just very nitpicky about, uh, for starters, Rami Malek, um, I mean, I feel like we could have done this film without him. Like, as as horrible as to say, like, because Rami Malik, you are an incredible actor, but you are underutilized in this film. And like the whole, your whole thing was kidnapping the kid, right? And then like raising James's kid as your own. But then when this kid, when you say to this kid, you can leave if you want, and then she just leaves and you don't do anything to go after said kid, it's like, what, <laughs> what, what are you trying to achieve here, like why, um, so that was very frustrating, another thing is that a lot of the timeline doesn't make sense, in terms of, um, Rami Malik's character, when Madeline was a kid, uh in the opening sequence looks like a full-fledged adult like going into the house and committing the the murder and stuff uh, of her her mother she just kind of looks very he looks it looks like an adult who's done it and then suddenly fast forward however many years into the future where Madeline's actually a grown adult and Rami Malek's character just kind of maybe hasn't aged like a youth elixir maybe or whatnot like I don't know it was just the timeline is kind of scuffed in that part but that's obviously if you're really really thinking about it but you know if you just take it with a pinch of salt you're like oh okay fine you know they're the same person and like time doesn't matter or he has a youth elixir you know it is what it is um so that bothered me um another thing that bothered me ever so slightly was the scoring of this film could have been done so much better and so much more powerful like I don't know whether that's just me but at certain sequences like it did really hit well but certain sequences like the whole entire end sequence of of you know James standing on on the island looking at the missiles that are essentially going to blow him up, like could have been so much more dramatic and so much more emotive in the in the score, so much so that I think if they did the scoring of that scene, like ever so slightly different, I think I might have cried. Like I was on the cl- I was on the verge of tears the first time I watched it, but I think I would have been even more so on the verge of tears if I um, if the scoring was just ever so slightly different um so when I saw that it was Hans Zimmer who did the scoring of this film I was shocked because I was like Hans I expected it better from you like come on man you're the main man that everyone calls to for a for a big blockbuster film and I don't know it just feels like it felt felt a bit flat unfortunately so that was another thing that that really disappointed me and you know of course this film could have been shorter um but that's not something I'm too bothered by uh it didn't irritate me too much as maybe it did on my my uh first and second like second it definitely probably got to me a bit more but other than that I think those two things were just the main points of like oh this is annoying um so yeah I just I just genuinely loved No Time To Die I thought it was such such an incredible Uh, Bond film and um I'm like it was the perfect send-off for Daniel Craig and I think you could tell in the film that he felt a little bit more comfortable and in himself and um you know it it felt like he was it felt like watching it that he was happy with the way that that this send-off was going to be and the send-off being that he died for his family and even that in itself is just such a big big thing like you know with the whole he, he the uh oh I don't even remember the the little girl's name Madeline's kid their kid right essentially uh the daughter had the little bunny rabbit thing her toy and she dropped it and then James finds it when he's going back to you know do the opening of the door and stuff and he puts it in his like gun holster and then at the like the end scene that you see him there on top there with the with the bunny there and you just think oh my god I have feet. I I genuinely feel sad about this because this man has a family that he finally like you know he's with the woman that he loves and the woman he loves has betrayed her and he has a child that he hasn't been able to see grown up because of the five years and it's just like it's just so much it's just so much emotion and you just feel you just you, you can't help but feel like really sad about this, this closing chapter but then ultimately he, he had to because of the whole like DNA um the virus in his DNA um that's genetically coded to be very harmful towards Madeline and his daughter so it was just it was a very necessary but and like within the time you always think they're gonna find a way they're gonna find a way to do it Q's gonna find a way and then it, just, it just doesn't and I also like, I admire it for doing that and not giving a happy ending, but rather giving the necessary ending to, to, to this James Bond film. So yeah, apparently there was enough time to die. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I was waiting the entire time to do that. I'm incredibly sorry, but it just had to be done. Um, so that wraps up my thoughts on each James Bond film individually. Uh, So now I'm going to move on to the ranking of them. So I thought it'd be pretty fun to give you a quick, um, quick ranking of three aspects of of all the James Bond films. Uh, That is songs. So I didn't really mention much about the, um, about the title songs of all of the James Bond films, which are like, you know, we had Skyfall, we had uh, No Time to Die, we had uh, Writings on the Wall, You Know My Name and Another Way to Die. So those were all the um, the songs of the film so I wanted to talk about a little bit about those. I wanted to talk about what I believe the best action sequences were in the James Bond films and then I wanted to finally talk about my ranking of all of Daniel Craig's James Bond films um, starting from highest to lowest and I think uh, from lowest to highest sorry uh and I think you guys could probably guess what what I would what I would pick to be where but we'll see we'll see if you're right place your bets now though I'll give you I'll give you a moment to like scribble it down like oh I think this will be her number one song oh this will definitely be her last song oh this will be the first first uh, film I'll be mean, the, the last one I'll, I'll just I'll give it a pause Okay, that's enough time. So, I'm going to talk about first the action sequences. So, I mean, this one, um, I just... For me, Quantum of Solace has the weakest action scenes because I quite frankly can't remember a lot of them. Uh, The most memorable one, as I mentioned before, was the theatre scene and then also the action sequence towards the end with the building blowing up um, and them, like leaving the villain in the desert to kind of just walk himself back I guess um like those are the only memorable bits of it the other bits of that film like like other action sequences or whatnot like do not remember that much so don't know whether it was as uh, as good as the other ones so definitely Quantum of Solace last um second I'm putting Casino Royale now the only reason Casino Royale is above Quantum of Solace because Casino Royale isn't technically doesn't have very extravagant um, action sequences to say Quantum of Solace, but the only reason why Casino Royale is above Quantum of Solace is because of the torture scene with Mads Mikkelsen. Uh, Yeah, that's, I literally, that scene alone is better than all of the action sequences in Quantum of Solace put together. So yeah, (laughs) that is why that one gets fourth. Then I'd have to say No Time to Die takes third. I mean, while there are some really good action sequences within this film, it felt very much focused on, you know, s- story-driven rather than action-driven, which is why I have to give it um, a, a 3. But having said that, there are some, some good sequences with, you know, the whole um, stairs sequence uh, when he's going up to, to I think, open the... Um, the barricades so that the missiles can get in Um, that whole stair sequence very reminiscent of um, (sighs) very reminiscent of the daredevil stairway scene but less violent kind of thing yeah that's that's how I felt about that stair sequence Uh, then uh, I think the second place has to go to Skyfall surprisingly I mean even though Skyfall had some some really really good action sequences like I mean we're talking you know the like oh gosh the the whole blowing up of the house at the end um and then like the action sequences in London as well um there is a lot a lot of good action sequences in Skyfall but I have to say none can quite beat the extravagance of Spectre in the torture scene in the White Room to the blowing up of that building to them going back to London and then also needing to save another building that's getting blown up. Um, <laughs> um, and then you have to also c- take into consideration the, um, gosh, the Day of the Dead. Like, just, there's just so much, so, much sequ- so many sequences in Spectre That are very, very good. Like if I had to pick the most action heavy of the all James Bond films, it would be Spectre. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. Like a lot of the action sequences were really good. So a big thumbs up for me. So Spectre takes the cake for that. And that is the only time Spectre is gonna take the cake for any of them. Mild spoiler for for my other rankings. So let's talk about songs. So um the songs that I have in last and fifth and fourth place are really because I just haven't listened to them enough other than when watching the film and I wrote these rankings after I'd watched all of them and I just said another way to die was probably my least favorite and you know my name was fourth I mean that it's it's just that they weren't as memorable or as impactful as um I recall them to be so yeah Um, those are my fifth and fourth I'm not going to go into them too much because I really can't go into them too much so third place writings on the wall now these are the three that I actually remember listening to around the time it was coming out and like hearing them actively on the radio so what's very interesting is one of my friends um, recently messaged me about this talking to me about how Radiohead was meant to um do the song for Spectre on and the song was meant to be called Spectre and stuff and sent me a video of you know how it could have worked in you know like with the song as well as like the title sequences and stuff and after hearing that and listening to that like genuinely a very interesting and intricate James Bond song that I was very impressed with and honestly very sad that they didn't pick the Radiohead version over the Sam Smith one so a little bit of a hot take there um and apparently the reason why they said it they shouldn't they didn't want to pick the the Radiohead Spectre is because it was too dark when I think of writings on the wall and I think of Skyfall for example they are quite like if you listen to the lyrics, they're quite harrowing lyrics, um, just kind of lifted with some, some a track that makes them, deceptively not as harrowing as they are kind of thing, uh. But because, in the Radiohead one, I can kind of understand they might have thought because it's also quite a harrowing, backing track too. It's it makes it more prop the lyrics more prominent, but. That's still not to say that I thought that that one probably would have been a lot better. So if I want to add another like little sneaky ranking in there would be that I think Spectre by Radiohead would go above Writings on the Wall by Sam Smith. But just actually talking about Writings on the Wall by Sam Smith. Like it's got the good like breakdown of the how do I live, how do I breathe kind of bit. I like I really like that bit but it's not as like I w- I couldn't see myself listening to that again like now like I wouldn't unironically listen to it I- I'd ironically listen to it but I wouldn't unironically listen to it um, and even thinking about it in the sense of the title sequences as well because we can we can take that into account here of the the graphics for when the 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 song is actually played it within the film with the credits Um yeah like even that for Spectre following on from some of the other um talking about the other two for example comparing it to No Time To Die or Skyfall not even comparable like it's just kind of mediocre in terms of of how they utilize the song with 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 the title sequence so thumbs down from me (laughs) then the second place that I'll give to is now this was tough between Skyfall and No Time To Die it was pretty tough but nostalgia kinda took the cake for me in that Skyfall ended up being number one, which meant No Time To Die had to be number two. Don't get me wrong, I think No Time To Die's intro wasn't necessarily the most extravagant at all best, but it was so unique and different the way that they transitioned from, like the st- stylistically the way they transitioned from the train to, you know, the starting of the credits to actually getting into the credits it was just such a great transition that it just made me think this has to be rated really highly and of, of course Billie Eilish's song no time to die is really good um though like it's not as powerful as I would want it to be in certain places. like in certain places of the song I've, I really feel like she just could belt it or go for it but it never has that but then again I guess that adds into the tonal difference. The tonal difference of No Time to Die, it being more soft spoken and eloquent and more emotive rather than powerful. Um it had powerful meaning action and emotive meaning more t- driven towards a a love in the story. So yeah, maybe maybe that was intentional, but personally when I think uh, a Bond title sequence I think extravagance so I'm going to be inherently biased towards the Skyfall one I mean Adele Adele you you continue to to be at the top of your game and I absolutely love it like I I listen to Skyfall on a on a regular basis like I probably shouldn't admit that but I do listen to it more than probably I would care to admit and it's just such a good song in itself and then that mixed with the title sequence and obviously him going into the water and the transition from there and then just everything about it everything about it just especially going from something like Casino Royale which really wasn't a great um sequence because the CG just wasn't good back then And then Quantum of Solace, I mean, same issue that we have there. But then you go for something like Skyfall and it's just like this massive jump in quality and that it's just so good and like incomparable to any of the other Daniel Craig James Bond title sequences that it has to get a round of applause for me, like definitely, absolutely love it. So I've now uh, spoken about the action sequence rankings and the song rankings. So I'm just going to quickly run through my top uh few without saying too much because I feel like I you can kind of kind of already put together my reasonings as to why I've ranked specific things in specific places um so I'm just going to go through it so in fifth place I put Quantum of Solace I mean to me it just really wasn't a memorable film and I can't say much about it second uh the, the fourth uh place will be Spectre I just think as much as it is as a really good action uh, James Bond film it feels like I could get that type of experience from something that is also not a James Bond film. Like, I feel like I could get a Spectre-type film seen in a Mission Impossible sense, or maybe an Ocean's 11 or 10 or whatnot sense, or something like that. You know, I feel I can get it from, from there. It's not unique to a James Bond film. Then I would put Casino Royale, because I just think it's so intricate and so good and so oh I it's so different to the other ones in the sense that like it's more tension driven and it's more strategy driven rather than like action driven which was a great start to Daniel Craig's James Bond in my opinion um Skyfall sits at second purely for nostalgia reasons because I just I remember so much of it when I watched it in cinema and I remember being in in awe of it and um the more I watch it the more I pick up new things in it and uh, that's what you love to see from any film to be honest so it has to get a second place and controversially like it was a tough one between Skyfall and No Time To Die for me like it was tough but I think because of the anticipation for No Time To Die I mean we've been waiting for this film for so long and on top of that like you know the fact that it felt like Daniel really came into his own in this one and he had more speaking roles um, in this one, that No Time to Die is the creme de la creme of Daniel Craig, James Bond films, in my personal opinion. But do let me know, you guys, what how you would rank the, the James Bond films, because I'd be curious to know uh, whether your rankings are very similar or different to me. Um, so now I've spoken, I've exhausted the Daniel Craig, uh, James Bond talking about films, but now I wanna talk about Daniel Craig himself and his journey with James Bond now I'm not sure whether he was quite a prominent actor before the James Bond films really happened but you can you can just tell that like it was he was very young as I mentioned he was very young when Casino Royale had had come out and it's almost as if his acting career has grown with with this in uh, this entire um onslaught of films and from that in any person's career growing really quickly really fast uh, especially being one of your 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 first biggest films being James Bond like it's quite it's quite a leap so with any journey it's going to be very turbulent and Daniel Craig's journey was incredibly turbulent, uh, turbulent. with him saying you know he outwardly uh, I think he, this was a quote that he said he said that like he'd rather die than do another James Bond film after he spoke about Spectre uh, after he had done Spectre it was kind of like a very bold and big statement to kind of say and apparently uh, my mom was giving me the lowdown like you know he he definitely um got a lot of slack for for coming into being James Bond uh, the fact that uh, apparently a big thing in the UK was the fact that he was blonde was a very big thing that in the sense that oh my god he's the first not blonde uh, not brown haired uh, James Bond oh my gosh what the heck how could this be and it's just kind of like very ridiculous that these are very specific standards that need to be held um for this person but anyway it, it is what it is so and but I think Yeah, towards the end, I think he felt that he he had this label. He had this label of just being James Bond, you know, and that could be difficult, you know. I mean, some people take the label that they have in one of like their most famous films and wear it with pride. For example, Robert Downey Jr. as uh, Iron Man, he wears that label with so much pride. But that's just him personally. He he just loves that character and and you know he doesn't mind being recognized for that as opposed to some of the other things he's done like Sherlock or Doolittle or or the plethora of other films that he's done you know and it's difficult for for him to kind of just be put in in this box like this but I'm really happy that you know within this time period um within the Bond time period he actually did get to do other films other than Bond so he did Logan Lucky which had um, Adam Driver, Channing Tatum and Daniel Craig in it which is a very vastly different role from James Bond and I think he took it because he wanted to prove in a sense that he can do something other than just being this really serious sophisticated suave kind of actor Um, instead taking on more of a, a American like criminal-esque kind of character in Logan Lucky and kind of similarly when he took on uh, Knives Out you know it was it was very much the whole um it was it was he was just very not British in the film and very um like very charismatic and jokey and like something that you wouldn't necessarily see in um in a James Bond film up until No Time to Die and I think those films helping helping him do like Logan Lucky and Knives Out helped him kind of add some more personality to the the role rather than the role being very two-dimensional so I'm kind of glad he had those experiences alongside doing the James Bond film I mean those are two he must he might have done other films as well but those are the two that I'd seen of his during the whole um Bond experience but I just think stuff like that kind of allowed him to be more flavorful and add a little bit more pizzazz to No Time to Die so I'm very thankful for that um so yeah even though he's had a really rough ride with his James Bond films I'm really glad that he didn't he didn't let it affect the last one and how and how he was going to do with the last one I mean He even said in a video that got posted online uh, when they were wrapping up doing No Time to Die, he was like, you know, I know that I've outwardly expressed, like, my, like, very strong opinions about the franchise, but, you know, I absolutely love all the team that's worked on it and I couldn't be more grateful. And I think that's a very, it's a good way, you know, close it off on a good note. Don't leave it on some of the comments that you have made before and stuff like that um so I'm really glad that he he did that and kind of touched on it in that way so now I want to I'm very excited to talk about this because it leaves it very open-ended for questions and stuff like that and I wanted to talk about a couple of things that I've um of I've I've heard about this whole 007 debate but who will be the next 007 because now Daniel Craig has well, Daniel Craig's Bond has died in, in this film's uh, In No Time To Die, so who, who, who are we gonna get? Um, so I've seen a lot of conversation about this online. So I'm gonna break down what I've heard. Firstly, is the female debate. And I didn't mention this in my, um, in my review of No Time To Die. I didn't mention um, the female 007 that we had in the film so um a lot of people had polarizing opinions towards it i personally don't think she is going to be the next james bond just by the way that things look um but i wouldn't have minded if if she was or wasn't like it's it's all good but if we're specifically talking about okay let's cast a new james bond into this um who, who are we gonna cast and they were to pick a woman without any proper setup. I I might have a, a, a bit of a problem with that. And the problem is it goes back to something that I mentioned in a very, very early episode, uh, early episodes of my podcast in the female representation episode. So if you want to go back and listen to that and hear what I have to say just about female representation in general um, in Hollywood, uh, I think a lot of the statements that I made in that still stand present today because uh, nothing has really changed considering that the film industry hasn't really um, done much in the past uh, year or so. So um, what I mentioned in that was we get a lot of these female reboots, right? We get like the the Ghostbusters female reboot, the oceans 11, um, the ocean's female reboot. and I just I'm kind of I'm kind of sick of it. I'm kind of sick of the whole, like, I'm gonna give this a female reboot. When you could give me a storyline that's predecessor was not a male, right? So it doesn't have a standard that it has to live by, right? And make an entirely new film with tailor-made characters, like female characters and female representation, right? To these characters and do it so much better in a very similar, in a similar way. Like you could have a female Ghostbusters film, but not essentially associated with the staples Ghostbusters. You could give like a, um, like a, a film about a bunch of, uh, of women who, you know, like, are uh, I, I don't know you just you don't have to have i guess the the name affiliated to it similarly with the Ale- oceans 11 like you you didn't really need to have the oceans title attached to to that for it to be like a good spy espionage a theme or all-female ensemble uh, espionage film you know it could it, it would have just been great if it didn't have that title attached to it and it might have been even more impactful kind of thing but there's just there's this sense of standard that you have to live up to which is really frustrating and for something like James Bond in particular if if you had a female ending up being James Bond like for starters the character is very inherently male like I don't know how you can rework that character to be a female secondly (laughs) it's just you'll get you'll it'll be constantly compared like in in any regard if if people don't like a a specific thing that this one james bond um would would do like this female version of the james bond you'd be like oh well the male versions were better you know they they were uh, miles and miles better than than this female one and it's like this constant comparison when you can have two really good characters like james bond and another like Uh, international spy um woman who works for british government american government whatnot have them both stand on pedestals as equals next to each other and be like oh that that like spy vibe of a film um a secret agent kind of thing works really well with the female as well as the male like but they they're they're both very different and they they don't have to be compared within the same franchise kind of thing so that's where I stand having said that I wouldn't be mad if there was a female bond I would just be very interested to see how they would do it without it being I guess blindingly obvious that you know um there'll be comparisons and there'll be lots of like um there'll be a lot of expectation to live up to and um a lot of backlash to be honest um so yeah I'm keeping an open mind I wouldn't mind having a a female James Bond as long as they casted it well and they reworked the story well enough that they could do it but if I personally was given that decision I would just make a completely separate uh female-led um secret agent spy film so that's my take on that So I wanted to talk about some of the contenders that I'd seen online because now everyone's kind of like thinking about oh who's the next James Bond and apparently the search for the next James Bond begins in 2022 so they're taking a little bit of a break before they approach looking for a new one. But there are some contenders that I've seen, I mean I've seen Idris Elba, Idris Elba has been like definitely one I've been seeing uh, circulating a lot, I've seen Henry Cavill, I've seen... Uh, who have I seen there's just so many J- uh, Jamie Dorian apparently is in the running maybe to be the next um James Bond you know um you could t- uh, Tom Hardy uh Richard Ma- Madden um you know there's, there's there's a lot there's a lot of people and even the um the Jamie Dorian one um apparently is like really in the running to be the next James Bond like this is a story that came out on the 24th and I'm recording this on the 25th so maybe maybe that is is what is happening may have an edge on the others is what um uh, newspapers are reporting but then again I don't trust tabloids whatsoever so yeah it's um it's one of it's one of those things I'm I'm, I'm seeing um around Now, personally, I think Idris Elba would be a good contender as well. Henry Cavill, I think he's just too associated with Superman that people forget that he's British, and I just don't think he could play a very inherently British character anymore. Um, But what I will say is, personally, personally, uh, this is just my, um, my, yeah, like... I mean, in an ideal world, maybe Adam Driver, but I understand that he cannot be, uh, and that is just my simp talking, but yes, I think um, he definitely couldn't because he's very American, I just don't think that's what the British public would want, uh, though I would really love to see it, but maybe Adam Driver's a Bond villain. That'd be pretty cool. American Bond villain. Let's go. Um, but I think, Dev Patel now hear me out hear me out hear me I'm not talking like Slumdog Millionaire like Dev Patel I'm talking like if you've seen him in Lion or if you've seen him in his more recent stuff that he's done like I think Dev Patel could be a really good James Bond like if you want to take like an Indian route for James Bond like hello I'd be I'd be here for it like and he looks very suave and dapper in a suit and I just think he could bring Something very interesting to the character of James Bond. I don't know. That's just me. And I I just think he'd be really cool at it. Uh, So that's my personal, personal fave. Uh, But if Jamie Dorian... um, Jamie Dorian is in the running. I think he's also a a good fit. Like, I've seen him in some some British dramas that have come out um, recently. And he seems really good in those. So I wouldn't be surprised if that's the direction they wanted to take it. So yeah, I wouldn't be mad at that, but you know, I just I think to put it as Daniel Craig put it when he was asked, um, <laughs> uh, how, like, what's the best advice that you could give to the next James Bond? Uh, just don't be shit. <laughs> and I think that sums up of my feeling is just like, d- just don't 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 be like. I want them to take their time picking the next James Bond because I think it's going to be very difficult to. To live up to um the reputation of um daniel craig's james bond so take the time pick someone really good and uh, i'm sure it'll be incredible so that leads me to the end of talking about no time to die daniel craig's james bond i really hope you enjoyed it i'm gonna now move on to the infamous segment of the show the recommend or to the back end <laughs> I've seen a lot of stuff but I'm I'm like stock holding them so I can keep them on going for more recommends to the back ends so this week I have a recommend and a meh I'm going to start with my meh which is Ad Astra so Ad Astra is the film um with Brad Pitt and it's a space movie and it's essentially about um him um Oh gosh it's trying to go on a space mission uh, where supposedly his dad is meant to be dead but technically um there might be more that meets ti to, to that um because there are signals being sent from specific places and they're not sure if it is him or not but they they they're trying to figure out what the heck is going on with it um and they've called on brad pitt to try and investigate what's going on and go on this like super secret covert space mission about it. And overall, it just felt like a very boring film. Like it was very long and incredibly boring. And you know, the only thing that really made up for it that made it a meh film is that we have this film on 4K at my house and our TV just displayed the space scene so well like it just they looked so gorgeous and like my heart was like oh I really want to love this film like I really really do but this just it's because the scenes the cinematography it was just so good and then the story was just so bad and I was like oh, you know what I'm just gonna have to I'm gonna have to give this like a straight line rather than a than a frown or a smile it's just getting a straight line because I I'm just very torn about it so and the music was very um very powerful in Ad Astra as well so that's another thing that it had going for it but overall it was just a very meh film if you want to give it a watch definitely do but it's not a recommend from me but it's not like a, a massive like throw away to the back end kind of thing more like just a toss or like a shrug off the shoulder kind of thing um so yeah But I'm very excited to talk about my recommend because it's a first five star that I've given in a very long time. Might be because of my Dev Patel bias, but um, I just loved everything about this film. You guessed it, it's the Green Knight. So the Green Knight follows this like Merlin kind of like Arthurian, Arthurian, King Arthur, like tale like in that type of era, medieval era, the era of knights and stuff. And talking about the knight Sir Gerwin, I think that's his name, uh, played by Dev Patel. And it's his story about how, you know, about his honour, about, um, you know, I think it is just a big story about his honour and what his definition of honour is and his journey of finding it. Because, you know, without giving too much away in this film, like Sir Gerwin goes from being like being essentially a nobody to going on to this massive quest um to almost prove himself um of whatever he he feels that he may need to prove himself of but it's filled with so much like whimsicalness and it's filled with so much like obscurity and like like so much imagery and like entendres and whatnot and it just feels like a very very intellectual film and I really really enjoyed it like I could I could do a whole a a piece on it but I'm gonna like I'm gonna hold off of it because I definitely feel like I need at least two or three more rewatches of that film for me to give like a properly full-fledged like analysis of the entire thing um but if you're in for something very different or very like unique I guess I think this this film is the way to go. It's it's definitely got a lot of a lot going for it, and um, if you want something different to watch or unique that you haven't I guess seen before, I would recommend the Green Knight. Uh, it is available on Amazon Prime to watch, so definitely do check it out. So I have finished the recommended to the back end segments. So that means that is the end of the episode. Gosh, it feels good to be doing this again. Thank you guys so much for being super patient with me and waiting for another episode. I promise to you guys that it's now going to be some sort of regularity. I am unsure about whether that regularity is going to be weekly or not, considering my uni workload is quite a lot. I might do every two weeks. I think the aim is to get it done every two weeks, but in a best case scenario, you might get one every week. So who knows? It just depends on how many films I get through whether I feel inspired about a specific topic that I want to do, and also whether I have the time. So stay tuned. Uh, I definitely want to get back into this at least once every fortnight, so stay tuned for that. Um, If you are listening on Apple Podcasts, uh, Google Podcasts, Spotify, any podcast listening platform, make sure you do uh, follow the podcast there or subscribe. That way you can keep up to date of when exactly i uh release a new episode and get notified about it that's pretty great and whilst you're there if you're on apple podcast why don't you give the podcast a five star rating and review you know it would really help other people find the podcast especially because we're getting back into the swing of things now um and i intend on doing a lot of really cool and fun and interesting uh, episodes in the future um, and if you want to know what films I'm watching on a day-to-day basis, uh, that I might not mention in the podcast episode, you can follow me on my Letterboxd account, underscore to underscore. Um, yeah, I, you can even potentially guess on what specific episodes I have coming out just by looking at my Letterbox history. So, <laughs> if you, if you want to do that as well, by all means, go ahead. Um, and, uh, if you want to keep up to date on just, I guess, promos or like notified about what's going on with my podcast and a little easter eggs or behind the scenes or whatnot or just my opinions you can follow my Instagram and Twitter accounts at deetswithdita for both uh with that being said next week's episode or the in two weeks time week's episode um next week is actually Halloween or no this week is actually Halloween but Am I gonna do a Halloween episode am I not gonna do a Halloween episode we shall see we shall see um uh, I do really want to try and see if I can do a spooky episode if I can't then uh expect maybe a actor episode to be done so I'll, I'll leave it in a little bit of suspense there for you you can you're either gonna get an actor episode or you're gonna get a Halloween episode so we'll see on that front so thank you guys once again so much for listening and I will see you all next week bye everyone